Right, as Raj said, we are starting a new series. We're going to be looking at the pastoral letters, or the pastoral letters, sometimes known as the pastoral epistles. Epistles just means letters. Um, and uh, did you know part of the New Testament is letters? You know, we've just, we've just finished, haven't we, reading the letters, some of those letters, particularly uh, for, uh, to particular churches. Obviously, Revelation was written for those churches. They got the, the, the whole deal. And uh, some parts of Revelation were written for particular churches. And other parts of the New Testament are letters that people have written to certain churches. And uh, these pastoral letters are written to, uh, uh, to different people. So the pastoral letters, Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And you'll find them all in the same place in your Bible. That's the handy thing. In the New Testament, all the T's are together. Um, so you'll always know where to find them. Just find the T's. Um, 1, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And then Thessalonians is before that, but we're not looking at that. And so these letters are written to individuals. Timothy, First and Second Timothy, obviously written to Timothy. And the book, letter of Titus written to Titus. And they're written by the Apostle Paul. And they're pastoral because these are men that Paul is working with. Working with as he takes the gospel around uh, the, the known world, around the Roman world. And as he starts churches in lots of different places. And he's giving these men advice and support and encouragement as they serve the places that they're in. Timothy in Ephesus at this time and Titus in Crete. So, Timothy and Titus, the recipients, but actually, it's, it's, it's the church as a whole, these churches as a, as a whole, and specific groups of people in these churches that are instructed through the letters. So actually, Paul's speaking to the churches as well, through these men. And lots of the issues tackled are very similar um, in the letters, issues of false teaching, issues of church life and perhaps how it should look, uh, issues of leadership. So that's why they're kind of packed together and called the pastoral letters. And, And really, if you're kind of looking for a key theme for the pastoral letters, it could be this that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is meant to be the main thing. The gospel is meant to be central and not meant to be distorted. Take, take 1 Timothy for an example. The book, the book 1 Timothy as an example of this. One person has put it like this. Think of it as a ring with the most expensive gemstone in it. So the gospel, the joy news of Jesus is that gem, is that stone. And the book teaches about how the setting around that gem should be to show it off to its best effect. See, we've called this series Releasing Everyone. It's one of our four R's as a church. We all know our four R's, don't we? 
puts himself on the, t- on the spot, release, uh, receiving Jesus, reaching everyone. Uh, reaching out, apologies. Releasing everyone and uh, restoring communities. See, everyone released from things that perhaps have held them back in the past, affected them in the past, and released into God-given purpose. That everyone in Jubilee is released into declaring and proclaiming this good news, this gospel, this beautiful gem. This might be through how you show integrity or kindness in your workplace or in your school. It might be how you talk to people you meet about Jesus. It might be how you help people find them who find themselves in difficult situations and circumstances or from disadvantaged backgrounds. It might be how you teach children and young people about how to follow Jesus, whether they're your children or someone else's children. They're called the pastoral letters because Paul's kind of showing care to these guys, to Timothy and Titus, and for the churches. See, care is more... Simp- is more uh, care is as much about um, releasing people into their God-given purpose as it is about helping them with their problems. So as we go through these pastoral letters, this... This is us being released into holding out the gospel to Teesside. Maybe even further into the Midlands. Maybe into the nations. And, and it's about us being continue, continually shaped by the gospel, by this joy news of Jesus in all its fullness and about that being the main thing. So we're going to be looking at kind of big themes of these letters. We're not going to be going through them um, uh, uh, passage by passage as such. Um, What we're trying to do is kind of pick out the big themes of these letters, Um, although at times it will feel like we're going from passage to passage. And I, I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you this week. How about trying to read the pastoral letters this week? There's only three of them. They're not that long. There's nothing on the telly, really. It's just the same stuff. Why don't you read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, this week? There's my challenge to you. I'm going to challenge myself to do that as well. So today's passage is uh, 1 Timothy, chapter 1, from verse 1, and down to verse 15. And I've gone into Sarusha's passage for next week, but I've apologised to him already, so that's okay. Okay. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Saviour and Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when, you went, when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus 
so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually 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 immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that demands full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Okay, so I want to use this passage really to open up this whole series on the pastoral letters. Paul wants Timothy to distinguish between teaching in the church which conforms to the gospel, this good news in Christ to us, and teaching in the church that distorts and gets in the way of the gospel. Paul calls it false teaching. And there's a few things that I want to talk about from the passage about the gospel. Firstly, it's this. The gospel points us to Jesus. You might think, that's a silly point. Of course it does. Why would you say that? Well, actually, it seemed to be that there were people who were teaching some pretty strange stuff that really wasn't in line with the message of Christianity. He mentions, Paul mentions, myths, endless genealogies, teaching about how to apply the Old Testament law, In Titus, he refers to um, Jewish myths and people getting caught up in that kind of stuff. See, we know that there was um, uh, kind of fanciful Jewish books that people had uh, compiled uh, kind of myths of uh, uh, myths and kind of strange tales um, over the centuries and kind of wanted to add it to the Old Testament. It may be that Paul's referring to them. We're not sure, actually. Um, But what we do know is what these people were trying to teach didn't match up to biblical truth. Actually, this kind of teaching just led to speculation. Endless discussion and debate about details that, that just weren't important. More than that, that were actually based on myth. It reminds me of when The Da Vinci Code came out a few years ago. Did anyone read The Da Vinci Code or watch the film? 
One or two did, okay. Not as many as I thought. Probably about 10 years ago, was it? Maybe longer. And, uh, you know, people say, oh, look at this that's added, that's, that's said, that's proven that uh, people would say, you know, look, what, what do you say to this? That proves that actually what you think is wrong. When actually they, they didn't understand that. Well, actually, this is based on myths and strange tales and hang on, you, you need to understand none, none of this is really in the Bible. There's not many New Testament scholars that would take this seriously, but it, it kind of gets people caught up in myth and strange tale and speculation. Perhaps you've been on a walk with friends and you've kind of found yourself lost. Like, not just lost, like really lost. different paths, confusing signposts, discussions about whether you'd passed that field before. I'm sure we, yeah, we, I'm sure we went past this field of sheep before, but it does look like the other field of sheep we went past before, because all sheep look the same. And, and what happens is, if you're not careful, you kind of say, no, we went this way. No, I don't think we did. We went this way. No. And, and you get so confused and so caught up that you just end up going in circles and getting yourself more and more lost. This is nothing prophetic about the men's weekend walk. Don't worry. <laughs> You're in safe hands. Paul's saying, look, gospel teaching shouldn't be like that. Yes, there's room for discussion. Yes, there's room for debate. But actually, if it doesn't lead somewhere, it's not gospel teaching. If it doesn't lead us to Jesus, something's wrong. He says, look, gospel teaching should, verse 4, advance God's work, which is by faith. He's talking of God's plan of rescue of you and I through Jesus. His plan to bring us back to him. Not by getting us to behave a certain way. Not by really thinking and understanding some complex ideas. But by faith. By putting our faith in Jesus. Listen, are you a new Christian here this morning? Listen, as you learn to pray, as you read the Bible, have an attitude of, you know, I want to know this Jesus more. I want to know him more as I do this. I don't simply just want to learn information so that I can pass myself off as a better Christian. I want to know this Jesus more. Maybe you've been a Christian for longer. Don't just read your Bible or Christian books simply to kind of uh, have more information in your head. So Jesus, Jesus said to the religious people of his day, look, you study the scriptures, you diligently study the scriptures, uh, hoping and thinking that by that you'll find eternal life, but you miss me. Y- you miss the fact that the scriptures are about me and that they point to me and they testify about me. Listen, in our, in our information age, we have access to more resources than we can ever get round. Who likes reading books? Who likes 
watching things on YouTube? Who likes listening to podcasts? Who likes reading electronic books? There's all sorts of stuff. Who likes reading blogs on websites? That, that, do you know, we, we are... There's, there's information coming out of our ears. And some of it is the type of teaching that will simply take you on a walk and leave you lost and confused and going in circles. Paul's saying the gospel shouldn't be a confusing thing. It shouldn't be a muddling thing. He says, listen, he says it should be as simple as this. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Secondly, the gospel helps us to love others. See, in 2 Timothy... Um, this is in chapter 2, 23. Um, Paul tells Timothy that much of this false teaching is just producing foolish and stupid arguments and is causing fights in the church. And here Paul says, you know, the goal of this command is love. That's a good test of teaching in the church, isn't it? Does it build up the church? Does it help us to love and care for one another. But being a loving community won't always mean we simply keep each other happy, don't address things that need to be changed. You know, even a loving parent will say to their child sometimes, actually, no, that's enough chocolate. No, you shouldn't play on that road. Or perhaps when they're older, pointing out the consequences of, you know, if you make that decision... Do you know what the consequences will be? The goal of this command is love. See, Paul's saying there's there's a type of teaching where the goal of this command is me. There's a type of religious teaching, he's saying, where the attention is on me and you and at the expense of those around us. Just concentrate on yourself. Just be better yourself. Be better than the person you're sat next to. Just have a look at them. If you can just be a little bit better than them, you'll be fine. Then God will love you more. It's a performance thing. God's love, it kind of says God's love is dependent on how well you perform for him. So we start saying things like, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as that person. I'm doing better than them. Listen, when we see that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and that includes me, performance disappears. There's no room for it. Christ Jesus has rescued me. And you know, in him, I am more loved than I can possibly imagine. I'm like this swan. You're like this swan. Not because you've performed for God, not because you've had a good week, but because you're in Christ. And because when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the beauty of Christ. 
Listen, how did you come this morning? Were you a bit grumpy this morning when you came? It's a bit of a, a, a nightmare morning to get here. Did you not really want to come? Or did you come here full, ready? I'm going to worship God this morning. I'm going to really go for it. Do you know, however you came, however you leave, you are no more loved by God than when you started out today. Righteous in Christ. Not based on how you can perform for him, but based on his love for you and what he did. See, we often talk about the difference, uh, about, we often talk in this church about the difference between the gospel and religion. See, religion is something you do, something you do to earn your acceptance. Gospel is something you receive. And we find that because of Jesus, we're accepted. See, religion says, Christ Jesus came into the world to reward good people. To reward those who try their best. Gospel says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you know, because the spotlight is not on your performance before God, you're able to love those around you. I'm able to love those around me. And do you know, the more you know others, the more you get to know others, the better enabled you are to love them. Sounds fair, doesn't it? That'll involve your time, that'll involve your attention. It might even involve having to spend time with people who are a bit different to you. But the more you get to spend time with people, the better enabled you are to love them and support them. So I want to encourage you, a great way of doing that is to get to know people in smaller communities. Hey, if you don't know where to start, go along to one of our devoted groups this week. Get involved in smaller communities. Look for smaller communities within the church to get alongside people to live out this life with so it's love that flows from a pure heart a good conscience and sincere faith see love flows it flows from a changed person who's been changed on the inside not simply someone who's adapted their behaviour but someone who has been changed from the inside. Finally, the gospel helps us to live differently. See, what we see from this passage is that some seem to be getting themselves a little bit confused with how they were teaching the Old Testament law. See, when it talks about the law, it refers to the commandments in the Old Testament. The commandments that were given to the Israelites, some uh, 613 of them altogether. That include the Ten Commandments and includes many more. This is how, this is how God, th- th- these are the laws that God called them to live to. But they couldn't. And in one sense, they weren't meant to. They weren't there simply as a bar to reach. As a kind of rule book 
for their behaviour. No, no, there was a bigger purpose to them. They were there to show them that there was a deeper problem. That their sin was a more serious and inner problem. Not just a failure to keep some rules. See, turn with me uh, to Romans uh, chapter 7, if you've got a Bible. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. There we go. Chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? This is Paul talking. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the Lord not says, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. And he goes on to say, once I was alive, apart from the law, when the commandment came, sin sprang into life and I died. He's saying, look, I wasn't aware I had a problem with my neighbour's car until I read that actually I shouldn't be envious of other people's stuff. And now I'm insanely jealous of his car. Listen, that's the use of the law here. It's to show the seriousness of your sin and your deep need to be rescued from it. And you know, he says, and just before you start picking out certain groups from that passage that we read, oh yeah, what about them? Paul says, and I'm the worst. And I'm the worst. the law wasn't meant to be treated as some kind of rule book just so that we could keep on good side God's good side that's not how we're meant to treat the Bible there's there's two types of extremes in the pastoral letters there's this kind of extreme where people say do these things avoid these things and you'll be accepted by God and then on the other there's the other extreme of people just saying do what you like It doesn't matter how you live your life. And I reckon you could probably find both of those extremes in the church today, certainly in this nation. But the Christian message is very different to those things. It says it does matter how you live your life. But you won't be able to live any differently by following rules. That won't earn you God's attention. The Gospel says that because Jesus was perfect in every way, he fulfilled the law in every single way. And he did it on our behalf. And we get to live in the goodness of that. We get to become sons and daughters of God. There was a few people uh, praying out this morning about being sons and daughters of God. Uh, uh, I think it was Leslie and Vicky. Uh, Just we get to, you know, we are sons and daughters of God because of Christ, because of what He's done, because we get to enjoy all the goodness 
of what he has won for us. See, it's as if you and I have fulfilled every part of that law. See, the gospel puts you right with God in a way that law-keeping could never do. And the Bible says, listen, now that that's true, live like that. Live like you've become. Listen, it's put really helpful here by um, a quote that's attributed attributed to to John Bunyan, a Puritan, but who knows if he said it or not, we don't know, Um, but they say he did. And he said this, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. Do you get it? The law cannot motivate you. The law cannot strengthen you. Religious rule-keeping can't do it for you. It's got nothing to offer to you. It gives you no help. The gospel, knowing I'm loved more than I can imagine because of Christ, bids me fly. It empowers me. It strengthens me to live in the purposes of God. So we delight in this gospel, in Jesus' love and his work on the cross for us. And, you know, as we do that, we begin to reflect the life that God's called us to and wants us to live. We say, do you know, how I live matters, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to get it, it's not going to change through rule keeping. It's going to change as I delight and look on the goodness of God in Christ. So there it is. This is the gospel that Paul wants Timothy and Titus and their churches to keep centre stage, to keep the main thing to keep as the message. It's a gospel, it points to Jesus, it helps us to love, and it helps us to live differently. So I want to ask you a question as we end. Listen, are you captivated by this gospel? Are you, as we were singing that song, filled with awestruck wonder at Jesus. All he has done, who he is. Does this gospel bring freedom and life in your life? Does it bring you into that colour-filled um, life that, that Mick was talking about. You know, rule keeping won't do that. The gospel brings us into freedom. I want us to pray and, uh, and then we're going to respond in song and then we'll see what, where we go from there. Um, but let's just come before Jesus this morning. If the band could come up. We're responding to this Jesus. Jesus, we, we're captivated by you.
captivated by this gospel. We're filled with... We, we, we stand in wonder at you. Well, this, this is a gospel that it brings freedom like nothing else. You bring freedom like nothing else. Listen, just begin to thank him. Begin, just, just say, Lord, Lord I, I, I delight in this, this wonderful truth, this wonderful freedom you've brought me into. I delight in you, Jesus. I'm captivated by you. Just begin to thank him. Begin to tell him how amazed you are. I think there's more. I think there's more of an overflow as we kind of um, ended our, our singing, as it were. There was just this overflow of love, overflow of affection for Jesus. I just think. I just think there's more. And I think that as we sing and as we worship, there may be more to come. People might have other stuff to bring. It might be prayers. It might be other pictures. Lord, we, we, we say we're captivated by you. And we love all you have done for us. That, Jesus, you came into this world to rescue us. To rescue us, each one of us. That our goodness couldn't do but what you could do. Thank you. And so we say, Lord, we want to we be captivated by you all our days. We want to follow you on this adventure of life all our days. Lord, this, uh, we want to be captivated in ways that say, yeah, I'm going I'm I'm to follow you. You call me to Derby, hey, we're going to go. You call me to that parent in the school gates, yeah, I'm going to go. You call me to serve that group. Yeah, I'm going to go. You call me to that nation. Lord, I'm hearing you. I want to hear you. I want to follow you. But Lord, let it all be out of an overflow of love for you.